You're listening to Let's Talk About Fatherlessness with host Sean Tice, where we talk about leading fatherless families to the Heavenly Father. Welcome back to Let's Talk About Fatherlessness. I'm excited to have my guest today, John DeBerry. It's great to have you with us today. Well, it's good to be here, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and talk about an issue that um, we've been talking about for quite some time, and I've talked about with all of my career. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be here today. And that's why I wanted to have you on. You and I met a few years ago at the NRB, National Religious mm-hmm. Broadcasters event. You got an award there, and uh, we met, and we've been able to connect since then. We've had uh, several different conversations about the issue of fodlessness. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to talk to you about it on our show. Um, you shared some information, just different things with me, different work you've done. And so I wanted to highlight you. But before we do that, would you tell just a little bit about yourself and your where you're at, what position you have right now in Tennessee, and just some information about your background? Well, I served in the Tennessee House of Representatives for 26 years, uh, 13 terms, uh, representing District 90 in Memphis, Tennessee, which is a a district where this issue is very prevalent when we start talking about uh, the fathers in the home and the lack of the fathers uh, on some occasions. Uh, I served as the chair of the Children and Family Committee that dealt a lot uh, with the issues of rights and custody and rewrote many of those laws that have to do uh, with uh, dealing with children and the family. Um, I serve now as senior advisor to Governor Bill Lee. I work on policy issues, especially policy that deals with education, that deals with the family and many of the issues that are prevalent right now. Uh, as I mentioned before, my one of my colleagues, David Jordan, is in 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 my office now. Who you will have an opportunity to interview later. Uh, we are trying to fund as many organizations like Agape as possible because of their intervention with the family, dealing with the fathers, dealing with the mothers, that basic structure. And in doing so, we're dealing with the fatherless issue all over this country. That's what I've been doing. Uh, the majority of my career, and uh, I'm just very thankful uh, to continue to have the opportunity to do so and to meet folks like yourself. Yeah, and and it's been been great to get to know you last few, over I think over a year, almost two years we've known each other, and it's just been been a good experience getting to know each other. Now, some of the things you've shared with me is some of the work you've done in the past. I, I believe you work with uh, President Bill Clinton, his administration, um, for his fatherhood initiative or something like that. And you shared some of the things you said. You know, and if you want to share you know, how, how those things went, did they were did they succeed? What would you do differently now? Uh, can you share some information about that? When during the Clinton administration, when we did the National uh, Fatherhood Initiative, one of the things that we recognized was that there had been many well-intentioned programs that had the type of outcomes that have helped to create the problem that we're dealing with right now. And those uh, programs to that took care of the family or the women or the children in the absence of the men eventually became programs that excluded the men and to where a woman could not get certain of these supports, child care, education benefits, housing benefits, if there was a man uh, in their home. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that that was the intended 
the intent, intention of the policy, but it is the outcome of the policy to where the man is basically left out. I'm not saying that's all of what contributed to the fatherlessness, uh, but it helped to create a culture that the father was not important, that he was not essential, that uh, the family can make it without him, that really, even if he's there, the only reason he's there is to provide food and a roof over the kid's head. And I think that those are some of the unintended consequences that came from our wars on poverty, our fights against poverty, uh, really uh, the unintended uh, consequences in many places was that we excluded the father from the process. And when you do that, let's just face it, you have broken up the family. Yeah. Uh, even if it's not a traditional family, even if it's not a man and a woman that is married, if the man and the woman are both not involved in the rearing of those children, there are negative consequences that are involved. Yeah, it's so true. And so what are some things that you nowadays, and you and I have had these conversations, but what would you, if you had the ideal situation, how would you go about um, establishing policy now to help these families be better established? I think one of the things that we've got to do is hold folks accountable. The state can't just say, you know what, you have a kid, you drop them off at the 7-Eleven and you go on your way and make some more kids. We'll take care of this kid. And, and while I believe that it's not the child's fault who his mom and dad is or who their biological parents are, that's not the child's fault. So, of course, feed the child. Of course, do the best we can for that child. But if that child becomes some enigma uh, ward of the state that is not connected to anybody uh, that has his blood in his is or her vein, that, there are tremendous negative uh, 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 psychological traumas that come along with that because the kid feels as though he's been thrown away, that he's been discarded, that he has nobody that really cares. The state takes care of him because they have to. And they'll only do it until he, he's 18, and then they're going to turn him into the, onto the street. And that, that makes programs like uh, your program that deals with fathers and the rebuilding of the homes, Agape uh, in Memphis and the state of Tennessee that deals with the family in general, the many initiatives that Gov Governor Bill Lee has taken on when, he's, when he talks about preparing people to make a living uh, a skill, teaching them skills. Everybody's not going to college, but everybody deserves to make a living. So teach them how to make a living. It's basically going back to some of the basics that helped us make America great in the first place. You know, in America, you could you could make a living if you had a high school diploma. Um, when you came out of high school, I remember when I was in high school, I took welding. Uh, even though I had decent academic grades and I knew my parents were not going to settle for me not going to college, but I still learned welding. I could do a pretty good beat back in the day. Uh, uh, I learned uh, basic carpentry. Uh, in other words, if if I had to lead, I could drive a John Deere tractor. I knew how to work on a farm. Uh, in essence, we taught a work ethic and a skill set and a belief in yourself that's not being taught anymore. And a lot of these kids, they have no hope. They, 
You look in their eyes, they're dead. They don't have any hope. And if they are a father, they don't have any intentions uh, of taking care of the children. They just, that's just a notch on their gun. They brag about how many kids father, not how many kids they're feeding. And uh, when your culture takes that turn, uh, that's a turn in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, for about three, four decades, that's what we've done in America. And what are some of the things, I mean, I know we know a lot of the statistics, we've covered a lot of them on the show, but what are some of the things you've seen in government, some of the biggest problems coming from fatherlessness? Just I think that the government has to make sure that each child, first of all, that each child is educated. You yeah. can't talk about failing the schools like that's normal, like that's usual, like that's expected. A failing school, a failing school is not a school. It's just a, a building that's babysitting a bunch of children that's wasting the taxpayers' money. Uh, if, if a school is a school, then it has a purpose that has been purposed by the taxpayer and, and by the citizens of that state, that city, that community that says, you have our children for eight hours. There are certain things we're going to teach them. Uh, my parents taught me my faith, my work ethic. Uh, discipline, my character. But when I went to school, I had great teachers who educated me and got me ready for the world. So we've got to concentrate on education again, not just on babysitting. We have kids that go to school 12 years and they come out and they read on a third grade level or not at all. When you brag about, well, 30% of our third graders can read on grade level. Man, that's not to brag about. And, and that states a total, complete failure of your education system and your education program. So number one, we've got to educate them. Number two, you don't just teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Even if you teach them that and you don't give them character and faith, they don't believe in the country, they don't believe in the Bible, they don't believe in the Constitution, they don't believe in the flag, they don't believe in service. I'm of the generation that I can remember the day that John Kennedy, as a young boy, I was a young boy, but I can remember watching on television when President Kennedy made that speech, uh, uh, when he became president, and he asked that famous question, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My generation, we were raised with that understanding that that the country had given us so much that we have to give something back. Mm -hmm. So now we have those who, first of all, they don't believe they, the country's given them anything and therefore they don't owe anybody anything. You have a generation that doesn't have faith or respect for the teachers or respect for the law or respect for the country in general. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Sean. Everybody talks about the lost generation, but nobody talks about who lost them. Yes. And that's where the conversation's got to go. How did we lose a whole generation? How did we do it? And we go back to the things that you and I were taught when we were coming up. These kids have not been taught. So educate them, but also give them character. Give them character. Uh, Dr. King said, here again, I'm, I'm giving my age away. But I remember seeing Dr. King say that, uh, make that speech, 
My dad was somewhere there in the crowd uh, in Washington when Dr. King said that he had a dream that one day his little children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, basically, he's sending a message that our job is to develop the character. And we're doing everything else but developing character. We spend so much time talking about color of skin and race and racism and bias and division and disunity. We spend all of our time talking about the things that divide and destroy us and not enough time on the things that bring us together. And also, not only that, how are you going to do either of those without, without faith? You can't have a, um, a culture that totally dismisses the standard. When you get, you know, the Bible has been banned. Other spiritual books and teachings have been banned, regardless of the religion. The majority of, you know, I'm a Christian, but there are world religions that all have all types of morals and teachings that are infused into those great teachings. All of these have been banned. So if I can't teach a young person that is wrong to lie, that is wrong to steal, that it is wrong to be disrespectful, that it is wrong to not have gratefulness and thankfulness, that it is wrong to mistreat your brother or sister, how in the world am I going to create an individual that's going to be a individual who fits in the society, that pays their taxes, that takes care of their children, that obeys the laws of the land, that contributes to the well-being of the country that has given them so much. You got to have a foundation for all of it. Yeah. Because our whole educated heretics and derelicts who don't have a faith that pulls it all together. That's so good. And there's so much information there. I, thank you for sharing that. Now, I want to go back. We were at the Amplifying Fatherhood Conference um, a few months ago in September, and you got up and spoke, and you shared a story um, about sitting on the porch with your daughter. Uh, can you share that story? You know what I'm talking about? Can you share that story? I think that was just, that was a great story, and I would love for our listeners to hear that. We were back. My daughter, who now is... Um, a graduate. She has an undergraduate from the University of Memphis. She has a master's in child psychology from Ole Miss and a master's in child play therapy from Ole Miss. So she's a very well-educated young lady. She recently got married about three years ago to a young man who has master's degrees in social work. So they are a wonderful couple of young people. But let me tell you one of the reasons why she is who she is. We were sitting on my front porch, excuse me. We were sitting on my front porch there in Memphis, swinging a beautiful spring or summer day. Little girl walked down the main thoroughfare that's right by our home. And the little girl, of course, was scantily clad. She was almost naked, to be frank about it. Uh, she was a cute little girl. Um, and, you know, she's looking at the cars that passes by. So we both know what she was doing. And my, my daughter, <clears throat> at the time, who has all these credentials, 
was only nine years old. And as we were swinging in the swing, she looks over and she sees the little girl and she goes, mm, 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 look at that. And I stopped her right there. And I looked her in the eye with my finger like this because it really offended me uh, at the moment. And you know how girls are. She's tearing up like, what did I do? What did I say? You know, little girls can wrap you around their finger if you don't watch them. So I'm looking at her and I said, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever do that again in life. I said, the difference between that little girl and you is me. That's the, I said, she didn't have a me. I said, no little girl wants to walk down the street and sell their body to strangers. I said, it's no telling what that child has been through. It's no telling how she's been abused and neglected and mistreated and cussed out and beaten. We don't know what, but we do know enough to know that she didn't do this on her own. And so I told her the difference between her and you is me. And when we look at all of the, and I know you've done it because I, I've looked at some of your work. When we look at all of the negative aspects, the dropouts, the suicides, the teenage pregnancies, the juvenile delinquency, the disproportionate minority confinement, it all goes back to one thing, one mitigating factor, and that is the absence of the father. And we see it over and over and over. And I think that we as a society need to face that fact that we don't have a lot of time to get this right. That's so true. And I, and I love that story when you shared it at the, the conference, because it resonates with all of us because we look at, we look at people in our society and we see, oh, they're addicted or they're, they're, you know, they're making these relationship decisions that look just disastrous or they're choosing all these different lifestyles and all this stuff. And they're trying to cope in so many different ways and with so mm -hmm. many different methods. And if we would just look at the root of the problem and large majority of the time, 90% of the time, it's or a lot of the time it's fodlessness. And if we could just go to the root of it and say, Hey, what can we do about it? So now we've, we've covered that. What are you like in Tennessee? What do you, I know, I know some of the stuff you guys are doing, but for our listeners, what are you guys doing in Tennessee now to kind of go forward in a positive way? Well, we're, we're in the state of Tennessee. We're extremely fortunate. We have Governor Bill Lee, we have First Lady Maria Lee, who are just regular folks who have raised children. Governor Lee has gone through tragedy with the loss of his first wife. Uh, First Lady Lee has gone through a fight with cancer. They are the type of individuals that have a base uh, of faith that makes them open their eyes, not as politicians, but just as people that say, what can we do? So having said that, we are, we're dealing with, with education from the standpoint of making sure that people can make a living. Governor Lee has been able to, with his team, with ECD and with others here in the state, we have a major car manufacturing entity that's moving, we call it Blue Oval City, where they're gonna build the largest car manufacturing plant in the world, right here in Tennessee. Guess what? You gotta have people to work there. So that means that we've got to take a long, introspective look at our education process and have folks who are ready for those jobs. So that's one of the things that we're doing. Secondly, Governor Lee has done uh, uh, criminal justice reform. 
that has taken a long look at the way we deal with people. This lock them up and throw away the key mentality has got to change. You know, everybody there, we've heard them talk about immigrants and separating the family and all of that. Well, you lock a dude up for 20 years for stealing a Tootsie Roll. Uh, you've, you've also uh, uh, separated that family. Take a long look at the fact that first we can't sustain spending $50,000, $70,000 a year locking a man up when it would only take twenty-five or 30000 to educate him. And if we, and I think one of the things that he's doing is turning attention from incarceration uh, to rehabilitation and education. And if we can do that, we can start turning this thing uh, around a little bit. Another thing that he's doing is looking at the fact that a lot of the issues that people have center around a lack of, of uh, access to health care. And, you know, people who are sick or their children are sick or who are suffering, it may be mental illness, it may be whatever it is, it may be bad eyesight, it may be they can't hear, but if you have a child that can't perform physically because of something going on, that child's not going to do well in school and they're going to be farther for the gangs and the pimps and the human traffickers and others because they couldn't keep up. So find out what's going on with these kids. Uh, see if there are those who've gone through adverse childhood experiences uh, and deal with the issues as they are. Uh, another thing he's done, he's funding various programs, nonprofits and others, like I mentioned Agape a moment ago, that are getting in the trenches, getting in there and actually fighting uh, uh, poverty. And, not, and that's, you know, the way we did it in the 60s and 70s, we may as well have built a fire and burned up money for what we accomplished. But, you know, to actually fund people who are getting in there, getting their hands dirty, uh, getting uh, in the trenches, looking people in the eye, and uh, helping to change their lives. So this is another thing that he's doing. He's putting money where his mouth is on those type of things. So um, if you put it all together, it's, it's really not rocket science. It's dealing with folks, the things they need. So very few people just don't want to try and don't want to say. Most guys just want to feed their families and, and be a man and be respected. And if you give them a way to do that, usually you can help turn their lives around. One of the things that we have people come to, to us and ask us, they say, I didn't have a dad. How do yeah. I be a good dad? And you mentioned that your, your kids are succeeding. Would you take a few moment, moments and talk to the dads out there and give them some advice? You know, what would you say to the ones that are, hey, I didn't have a dad, but how can I be a good dad? Well, one of the things that I do know for a fact, I had, I, I had three dads. I had a great-grandfather, I had a grandfather, and I had a father. Uh, I had three generations of men that surrounded me and my brothers with the type of love and leadership that helped us be good men. Uh, but at the same time, there were so many other men, men that I admired at school, men that I admired in my church. There were policemen that were around. If a mother understands, it doesn't matter how wonderful a mother she is. It doesn't matter how dutiful she might be. 
It might be, might not, it doesn't matter what a wonderful provider she is, she's still not a man. And she can't do for a young girl that needs that strong arm or a young boy that needs that strong example. She can't do it for them. She has to bring in a brother, an uncle, somebody from the church, uh, somebody from the school. And I've seen it so many times where young women who were single mothers made sure, I've got them at my church right now, where they make sure that 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 young boy speaks to me on Sunday and I get a chance to talk to him. And if I see them and I see that gleam in their eye when they speak to me, I, I pull them close and I, I try to mentor them as much as possible. So the competition between male and female, that's got to go. That's got to go. Because a man is not an ugly woman yeah. and a woman is not a pretty man. They are totally different. They're wired different. And God put them here for totally different purposes. When they join together, they uh, uh, form a very strong bond. So if there is no immediate father, find a mentor. And there are many folks like yourself and David Jordan that I told you about and any number of the governor himself mentored young boys, Mark White, the chair of education in our state. He's mentored young boys. There are any number of men like you and I who would give our last dollar to help a boy become a man. And she's just got to be open and receptive to that and let that happen. Yeah, that's so good. Now, you talk about the local church. What? How can the local church do more to help with this issue? I know local local churches do a lot, and they 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 do as much as they can. But is there yeah. other any areas you've seen where hey, we could, they could assist more, or they could do something better in the, these communities? Oh, absolutely. I, I mentioned to my church Sunday that we got to stop acting like a social club and develop a social conscience. And that's what a lot of churches have got to do. They got to develop a conscience. You, uh, the Lord didn't say when he comes back, I'm going to say, bring me your bank account. Tell me how many buildings you built, how many buses did you own, how many trips did you take to Jamaica? And all. He says, very simple. I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was naked. Did you clothe me? I was sick and in prison or ignorant. Did you teach me and visit me? I was thirsty that you give me. In essence, did you reach out from among your comfort zone and take care of those that I sent to you who were in need? So what churches have got to do is get outside of those walls. They've got to stop chambering. And I'm not, not criticizing folks for having worship or having a nice building or anything like that. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying if God blessed you with all of that, there's a reason for it. If he blessed you with those classrooms and those teachers and those funds, there is, there is a job he wants you to do. And, and he wants you to get outside of yourself. To whom much is given, much is required. And churches have got to understand that they have a responsibility. And, uh, you know, you can't save a soul unless you interact with them teach them and help them and meet them where they are. Before Jesus taught folks, if they were hungry, he fed them. He set them down and he fed them. You can't feed a person whose stomach is growling louder than you're talking. You know, he fed them. 
If they were, if they're cold and naked, you're going to have to put some clothes on their back. People, the old adage and metaphor that all of us know, so there's nothing original about this, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what people want to see. And churches have got to start caring again. The civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, uh, the changes that we've seen in our society are good. We're all driven by the church, all driven by the church. And dealing with fatherlessness here again, it's got to be driven by the church. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I, and I love what you say about um, helping the girls and boys, because I feel like so often we, and I was a fatherless boy growing up, but so often we, we think we got to help the boys. We got to help the boys. And we leave the mm -hmm. girls up to the women to take care of. Yeah. But yeah. the girls need that manly influence. They, in a healthy way, you know, it has to be a healthy way because there's, there is a lot sure. of abuse and stuff that happens. But anything else about that? Because I just feel like we, we neglect the girl. We neglect those fatherless young girls and then they end up making fatherless kids. And yeah. so anything else about what that? A, what an astute observation, astute observation, because that girl, my, my, I have two daughters and I have two granddaughters. I raised my daughters to where, you know, they both got great guys, but they had to bring their A game. You know, they, they, they had to, they had to act like a man because they have been raised by a man. Uh, I, he, they weren't the first to send them flowers. I was, they weren't the first to buy them jewelry. I was. They weren't the first to take them out to a nice restaurant. I was. They weren't the first to tell them they were beautiful. I was. In essence, he's got to live up to the standard I have set. And that's where a man comes in in a girl's life. Uh, if she's going to have value, she's going to have great value because a man, maybe a father, a grandfather, an uncle, a big brother, a minister, a leader at the church, somebody's got to make her understand that she has value, yeah. that she's the pearl of great price, that she is the pinnacle of God's creation. Somebody has to make her look at herself in the mirror and see something that's of value. Otherwise, the world's going to meet her down and say, oh, you're nothing. You're just a willing vessel for whatever we want from you. You're just somebody that we can use yeah, you're beautiful, but that's just a commodity that, that you use to get what you want out of life. The difference is a father, a mentor, a teacher that makes her feel good about herself. I'll tell you something funny. Uh, I had a, a young boy who, um, it's been many years ago, had interest in my, my oldest daughter, who's been married well over 20-something years now. But uh, he came to me one time, and and he hadn't gotten anywhere with with, with Shabita. He he couldn't get anywhere, and he eventually he says, "Your daughter is uppity." I said, "Thank you, thank you. I, I tried hard to make her uppity." <laughs> so, uh, and he couldn't do anything but laugh. In other words, I said, "Now, she has a standard. You got to meet it." Yep. And you put that in a girl, that helps both of them. I was at a school one time, and one of the boys were walking down the hall. The little girl was showing me to where I was going to speak in the classroom. Little boy walks past with his pants down, his butt hanging out, and she stopped right there. 
And she said, pull your pants up. Man, he pulled his pants up and tucked his shirt in and looked at her and, and uh, like, I'm sorry, and walked on down the hall. And, you know, what she did was say, that's not attractive to me. If that, I don't think that's pretty. I don't think that that's manly. What she did was help that little boy that day because she had a standard for herself. She helped him have a better standard for himself. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. These mothers have got to stop making their sons believe that men are no good. Don't talk about your, your son's dad in front of him. He's your no good low down dad who left you all by yourself. Don't put your bitterness on your child. Yeah. That's between you and that man. That child didn't have anything to do with that. And you shouldn't put that on your child. And that's what a lot of folks end up doing. And if the child is taught not to respect the man that's his dad, he's going to not respect the mother who was with his dad. Because if he's so no good and so low down, why were you with him? And eventually that clicks in their head and they have no respect for women. And yeah. that's what we see. And so you got that vicious cycle that goes over and over. And we have to break that cycle. Well, I appreciate your work with this, John. We have to wrap up, but I thank you for what you're doing and the work you've done over the years to try to help fathers and fatherless kids. Uh, we really appreciate all the things you've done. Well, I appreciate what you've done. You, it's going to take you, young men like yourself, your generation, that steps up and stands in the gap. It's going to take young men like yourself. And I, I hope God will continue to bless you and provide for you and continue to give you the strength uh, that you have ex exemplified, that I have seen in the short time that I've known you, that you uh, can draw other men into this program and make them as committed as you are. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. Is it now? Is there anywhere you're at on social media or anything that people could follow you? Well, not yet. I think my children have created a Facebook. I'm a dinosaur man. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I think my children have created a Facebook page for me, but they're going to be. I'm going to start working on it and get a little bit better to prepare some of the things like we're talking now that I may do five, ten-minute talks and post them. Uh, so I hope we can work together on that yeah. and maybe do something together. I know your podcast is popular and uh, maybe I can get some pointers from you on how to do that. Sounds good. Well, thanks for being with us today, John. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of Let's Talk About Fodlessness. We want to now challenge you to take the next step by e either starting a single mom community group in your church or with your ministry, or by joining our network of God is My Dad churches and ministries. Isn't it a great experience to be able to start a single mom community group? Yeah, and it's just, if you talk to single moms, a lot of times what they'll tell you is, the one thing they're lacking is that community, just a group that they can go in and they know there's no judgment. You know, everyone may not have the same situation. Everyone doesn't know what they're going through, but they can go in and they know there's no judgment. And, and it takes that kind of that restriction and that uh, wall down for them so that they can share and then that they can grow in Christ. 
And our single mom community groups are a wonderful ministry. If your church can start one, we'd love to have you. We can help you get set up. We have the curriculum and all the resources you need. If you can't start one, we'd love to have you start by by joining our network of churches and ministries, our God is My Dad network of churches and ministries, where you can get your church or your ministry on our map and people can find you and find find your ministry in your church so that they can get plugged into your church or ministry locally. So check that out. You can find all these resources at lifefactors.org. We have books, we have all kinds of content on there at lifefactors.org. Check it out today. <music>